Matt, I appreciate that mercifully. No one pointed out that we were matching today. Um, you did notice. Okay, everyone noticed. It's on the YouTube. Um, hmm, sorry about that. It happens all the time. Like we're a married couple, which we're not. Um, so I've missed my opportunity for the last five weeks to, to get to preach to you guys. I've been away on holidays, and then we had a couple of guests the last two weeks. So it's good to be back. I'm, um, I'm glad to be up here getting to share the word with you today. Um, when people in my life find out that I'm a pastor, for example, at like the school drop-offs, and the conversation comes up, well, what do you do? Um, I get a pretty common question from people. Uh, there's often a little bit of confusion. And generally the question is, what, like, what's an average day look like for you? Like, okay, so Sunday I get, there's a service, you're leading the service. What's an average day look like for you as a, as a pastor? Um, and there's days when I ask myself that same question, you know? Uh, it's got to be said, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room. Sometimes I'm sure you feel like, what do I do with my life? Um, and I have those existential crises often. Um, but it can actually be a hard one to answer for me because my role is so random and big, and I do, like, pretty regularly do lots of different, very different things. And so it's hard to nail down exactly what an average day would look like. But generally I say something like, well, I lead a church community through teaching the Bible. That's, that's basically the heart of it. And through January, for the last five weeks, we've been working through a series called Trust the Lord, where we've been reflecting really deeply on this verse from Proverbs. If you want to throw it up there, Dave. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Um, by the way, if you're coming in now, it means you're, you're here for like the last week of a series, and so it'll all make sense, I'm sure. We've been sitting in this verse. And I think that this verse is a pretty good answer to the question, what does an average day in the life of a Christian look like? What does it actually look like to be a Christian? Every single day, what are we going to do? We're going to trust in the Lord with all our heart. That's, we're going to do that every day. We're going to lean not on our own understanding. We're going to acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he will, we believe, make our paths straight. And so, again, I'm coming in right at the tail end of the series. I'm sure this has been done, but um, let me just pick this verse apart one last time briefly. Um, there's actually four parts to this verse. If you want to throw up the next slide, you'll see this. Um, there's four lines, four parts, right? Uh, these are really, there's three commands and then the outcome. Uh, John Piper, he called these things the three steps to not waste your life. <laughs> Do you want to live a life that's not wasted? Well, here's three steps. Step one, trust the Lord. Have you heard that enough, this series? Trust him. Trust him again. Keep trusting him. Trust him now. Trust him again tomorrow. Trust the Lord. Second thing we've heard, mistrust your own intuitions. You can be wrong about stuff. You are often wrong about stuff. You are not God. You are underqualified to play the role of God. You are not as smart as you think you are. So don't just assume you have it all figured out all the time. Mistrust yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Step three, acknowledge God in absolutely every part of your life, in everything. And what that means is we bring the existence of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the will of God, we bring all of that to bear just in all of life, in every decision of our life. We make sure that he matters 
in every situation of our life, from our work life to our relationships to our money to our calendar to, to our whatever it is. He is acknowledged. He is seen as important in every decision. For example, you can imagine maybe you're, um, you're halfway through a conversation with a friend. You're talking about whatever, the sport. Um, and as you're talking to each other, in the back of your mind is this awareness. God made this person. God loves this person. He has a plan for this person. He wants to know this person and wants this person to know him. And so on one level, you're just talking about the weather. But on another level, there is this acknowledgement that God is here with us. He is there in that moment. Or, or how about this? Right now. As I stand on the stage and you sit in that chair, God is with us. He is here. He is powerful. He matters. By his presence, by his Holy Spirit's presence, he is with us as I speak. So why don't we start this morning by obeying part three and just take a moment to acknowledge the Lord together. Why don't you close your eyes and I'll pray for us. Lord, we acknowledge now that you are here. By your Holy Spirit, you are present with us. You desire to speak with us. This is a holy moment. We confess we so often fail to acknowledge you in this way. Help us acknowledge you in all of our ways. Would you be with us this morning? Would we, even as, I, as we continue on in the message, Lord, would we continue to be acutely aware of your presence? Would we notice you, we ask? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Average day in the life of a Christian. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust yourself quite so much. Acknowledge him all the time in everything. And then what? The outcome. He's going to make our path straight. He's going to direct our lives. He's going to lead us into a kind of life that we might not expect, but is full of his glory, full of his presence. He's going to make straight our paths. Now, here is the million-dollar question <laughs> that this series raises to the surface again and again, a question we've really been asking for the last four weeks. Can I actually trust him? That's the, that's the question. Can I? Is it safe for me to push all of my chips onto the I trust the Lord square? Or is that a bad idea, maybe? What consequences will that have for me? Is that safe? To do, can I trust him? And again, not just when it's easy to trust him, but when the stakes are really high and there is a cost involved, can I trust him? Can I trust him? That's a question that every single person in this room needs to face and wrestle with and come to an answer in. Am I going to trust him or not? Uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Wesleyan Methodist movement, 
um, together with his brother Charles, who uh, was the writer of some cracking hymns, including Hark, the Herald Angels Sing, um, they, the two of them, were profoundly shaped by an, ex- by an experience they had in their life where they, where they met some Proverbs 3 Christians. Um, and in that discovery, as they met these people, they, they came to a moment where they realized that their faith was actually fairly empty, lacking in any kind of substance. So the story goes that aboard a ship from England to the U.S. in 1735, okay, so crossing the Atlantic in 1735, perilous, basically, is, is all you've got to know about that. Um, and on their way, they were on their way to America from England as missionaries, They've decided we're going to take the gospel of Jesus to the new world. They've given their lives to serve God in this way. And on board that ship, there was another group of missionaries, Germans, German Moravians in particular. And they were having this worship service together when this storm struck, horrendous storm, life-threatening storm. People die in these kind of storms in the 1700s. And... um, they survived, obviously, because we have a re- his record of, of the day. And he would later write that during that storm, there was such panic and screaming from the English. <laughs> no, no shade throwing. This is, just, this is just people being people, right? But he, he notices from the English, from the German Moravians, they just kept their worship service going. It's calm, it's peace, there's prayer, they're singing, and they just sung through, literally sung through this life-threatening storm. <laughs> and this, this did a number on, on, on poor Charles Wesley, right? He, afterwards, he, he, went, he records the conversation he had with one of them. He's, he went to them afterwards and said, weren't you afraid of dying in that moment? Weren't you afraid? The direct quote back, no, I thank God, but no. Wesley replied, but your women and your children, were they not afraid? And he, respond, he replied mildly. Again, this is the words of Charles Wesley I'm just reading. Uh, John. No, our women and our children are not afraid to die. This encounter with these Proverbs 3 Christians, Christians who trusted the Lord with all of their heart, profoundly shaped him. This was one of those moments in his life where he knew even as a missionary, given his life in service to Jesus, he came to look at his own faith and go, there's something missing here. There's a peace. It's not present in my heart that they have. Because, like, if you compare the two groups, like when the storm hit, the English were praying too, but then they screamed and panicked. (laughs) Something was different about these other Christians. He had just met a group of Christians that had actually trusted the Lord with all their heart. He wrote this in his journal. I think this was awesome. He said, this was the most glorious day that I've ever seen meeting these people, watching their faith in action. This is the most glorious day I've ever seen. I almost, I almost died. <laughs> Let me ask you again. Do you trust the Lord with all of your heart? Or like the Wesley brothers, is there a check engine light flashing that's going, there's something else that I might be missing here? Over the course of this series, we've heard four massive reasons why we really can trust him. Just to recap, 
This is what we've done so far. The first week we heard, we really can trust him because he's good. The Lord is good and he does good. It's Psalm 119, 68. The Lord is good, he does good. And when we begin to realize that the character of God is to be trusted, we can kind of just relax. <laughs> we can relax into following him, knowing that he is for us, not against us. And we begin to change. We just exhale. That God is good. That God is good. And he does good. The second week, we heard that we can trust the Lord because he and he alone knows the way. He alone is sovereign over the future. He knows what's coming. He can be trusted because he's powerful. And so Matt helped us that week really to help us see that we can trust him on our darkest days when we're suffering. He knows the way. He knows what the future holds. And it's not making him anxious. We can trust him. He knows the way. The third week we heard we had Jackson coming uh, back down from Toowoomba and he preached for us. We can trust the Lord because he's our father. He is our father. We can now relate to the maker of the universe as a child to his father. And this just changes everything. Absolutely everything. We can approach him without fear of being crushed and rejected, but embraced so we can have confidence and joy. We can trust our father. He loves us. And again, this just transforms absolutely everything. Because all of a sudden, what's true about me and what's true about you, what's most true about us, it's not what we do with our lives, not what, not what I do for a job, uh, not, uh, you know, not, not how I perform or achieve or the, the mistakes that I make. What is most defining about me and most defining about you is who our, who our dad is. He made everything and he loves us. So we can trust him. And last week, Josh, back there, thank you, Josh, for last week, uh, brought us a message. We could trust the Lord because he keeps his promises. He makes promises and he follows through. And the Bible for us is a history, thousands of years, of watching the Lord interact with people and make promises and then follow through on those promises against all odds. He is the promise-keeping God. And friends, he has made promises to me and he's made promises to you. We can trust them. We can trust them. So we can trust him because he's good, because he knows the way, because he is our father, and because he keeps the promises he makes. And again, each and every one of us needs to, again, come to that point of decision. Are we going to trust him? Or are we going to trust ourselves? Are we actually willing to follow him? So, what we're going to do with the rest of our time is take all of that and turn it to not just you as a person, but us as a church. What does it mean for us at a Baptist church to be a church that trusts the Lord together? What does it mean to be a church that hears and obeys this call to trust the Lord as a church community? Guys, this is a question we cannot afford not to ask. <laughs> There's so much at stake in this. Can we trust? What does it mean to trust the Lord together? How, how do we walk in a posture of trust? as a church community, okay? So we're talking corporate application for us today. Uh, I've got four things here that I think are necessary and could have been 10, but we're going with four. All right. The word 
must be primary. We want to trust the Lord by trusting his word. Prayer. It's going to be primary. We're going to trust the Lord by praying. And if we're not praying as a community, how could we possibly say that we are trusting the Lord with all of our heart? It's just not true. Not even close. So we're going to pray. Finally, community must be primary in our church. If we trust him, we must live out the biblical vision for what the church is supposed to be. We can't just settle for the cultural status quo. We have to actually go, the Bible calls us to be a body, a family. We're going to take that seriously. Uh, And finally, mission must be primary. If we, we believe we exist here for a reason, and it is not our comfort, it is for the glory, the gospel to be made known to the world. And so we're going to take our mission seriously as well. We'll do these one at a time. So firstly, trust the Lord. To trust the Lord as a church, we must remain committed to keeping the word as primary in our church. After the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, in the early days of the church, uh, there's this great story where Paul and Silas, two early missionaries in the life of the church, um, they, they arrive in a place called Berea to share the news of Jesus with these Jews that were living there. Um, guys, your Messiah has come. His name's Jesus. We saw him. He's been resurrected from the dead. And they're taking this news to these Jews. And this is what um, we, we see in Acts 17. It says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, goes, the last group, they were good guys, but these guys, there's a nobility about these guys. Why? Why are they more noble? They received the word with all eagerness, point one. Secondly, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So you hear this message about Jesus, your Messiah has come, and they're like, really? That's amazing. And then they just had Bible study, right? Let's go, let's search the scriptures and see if this lines up. If this, does this message hold any water at all, or is this just a gimmick, a passing fad? We're going to find out. We have the word of God. And so we're going to read it, and we're going to examine the Old Testament scriptures to see if this is real. For the word to be primary in our church means that the Bible is our highest authority in all matters, which means in this church, Matt and I are not the king. It's not our way or the highway. When we are out of step with Scripture, we are wrong, and we will repent. (laughs) We're not the king here. The preacher only has any authority because the Bible is open. Okay? Secondly, if the Bible, if the word is primary in our church, that means as a church we need to stand on timeless truths, even when they are very unpopular in our day. We're going to stand on those things. We're not going to abandon them. We're not going to apologize for them. We're going to hold on to them because we believe this is the word of God, real and true, and that it is unsafe for us to go with the winds of culture. Third, it means that in this church, we are going to major on expositional preaching. So for most of the time, we're going to work through books of the Bible. Today, you might notice, we're not doing that. We're going to be all over. Most of the time, we are going to major on expositional preaching, where we work through books of the Bible. We are going to be, after Easter, starting our next big study in the next book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. 
read ahead, go buy some books about it. It's going to be great. But we're going to be spending as long as it takes to go through the book of John together soon. But we believe that if we trust the word, then the word is going to be primary in, in the preaching ministry of the church. Let me explain what expositional preaching means. It means basically taking the text and opening it up and exploring it and making sure that the church hears what it says and that the message of the, of the text is the center of the sermon. So here we've got some, some various definitions from um, um, two helpful fellas. Uh, Mark Deber, expositional preaching is preaching in which the main point of the text, the biblical text, being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. Direct line between text and sermon. Do you see that? First, first one. John Stott has another one. Um, to expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscured, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. And so Matt and I consider that our, our role in the in life of the church, to do that, unpacking to you guys as teachers. And so because we trust the Lord with all of our hearts, we want to make sure the word of God is central in the teaching ministry and the life of the church. So that's the first one. I want to say that really clearly. We're going to be a Bible-centered church. Secondly, what does it mean to trust the Lord? Trust means that prayer must be primary in our church. Trust means that prayer must be primary in our church. We've just had our leaders retreat. Matt mentioned this before. And spending some time together reflecting on the life of our church, we believe this is something that needs to be urgently addressed. This is a weakness for us, I think. We are just all so prone <laughs> to drifting into patterns of self-reliance, worldliness, and just neglecting what we know really matters. I think, well, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you believe prayer matters. If we look at our life and the role of prayer in our life, a lot of us, our life shows we don't actually believe that. There's a misfiring. I want to address that as a church community. We think this is really important because our prayer life together is mission critical. We just sung a song just now, didn't we? Unless the Lord builds the house, labors, the builders labor in vain. It comes from the psalm. We can work all we want as a church, but we're not building anything without the Lord. Prayer is primary, must be primary. And a prayerless church is a faithless church. Let's acknowledge that. Prayerless church is a faithless church. And so, um, I mean, Oct Octavius Winslow um, anyone looking for a, a boy, baby name, by the way? Octavius? 10 out of 10. High, high recommend. Um, Octavius Winslow, uh, from the 17 or 1800s, I should have checked. Um, he said, the prayer is the pulse of the renewed soul. And the constancy of its beat is the test and measure of the spiritual life. Beautifully put. It's the pulse of the renewed soul, the regenerate soul that's come to life in God, praise. And the pulse of its beat shows us something about the, the, the spiritual life. He's saying that our prayer life shows us, at the end of the day, if, we really, if we're really honest with ourselves, it shows us whether we're Christians. 
Friends, I believe with all my heart, as I know Matt does as well, that if this church is to thrive, we need to pray. We're not building anything without the Lord. James 4 verse 2 tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. (laughs) That verse keeps me awake at night. I hope it does you too. (laughs) It's an invitation though, isn't it? The verse, I think, implies that there are blessings that God has withheld from us because we're yet to pray. He's kind to us. He gives us so much we don't even ask for. But man, you do not have because you do not ask. I think we need to grow here. Um, Let me just give one example of maybe where I see this play out. Um, And I'm aware of the risk of sharing this example, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, The last prayer meeting we had at the end of last year, praying for the carols, we had four people come for a church of our size. It's pretty, pretty rough. And there's lots of people there that would have been there if they could have. And you always get that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's never about an individual. It's always the, for church our size, for Matt and I and four others to come along to pray. Made me just go, that's a red flag. That's, an, that's a check engine light. We all know prayer is important. But are we actually going to prioritize it in, the, in our lives? James 4 tells us that when this happens, we miss out. <laughs> And so I think, I think this is something we can grow in. I think this is something the Lord's pushing on. I think he's been pushing on it for a long time. I think he's going to keep doing it until we get the message. I've got two brief next steps for us, okay? So if you're hearing this and you're like, okay, help, what, what? Give me a thing. Two things. Firstly, we do have a weekly prayer rhythm in our church before our services. We'd love to have everyone come. I'd love for it to be a logistical nightmare where we're going to sit. I'd love that. that. That would make my heart so happy. It's just half an hour early. I think that's pretty doable. I'd love you to come consistently and pray with us. It's the first thing. You've already heard Matt mention that in the announcements. The second one is the one another's, the prayers to the one another's. After our services, I wonder if you could... Make it a goal that you ask someone else how you can pray for them. And then, this is the key part. Don't say, I'll pray for you this week. Say, let's pray now. Can we make let's pray now the new Anogra slogan? <laughs> let's just pray now. Can we just all like get that instinct? Um, let's just pray now. Let's make that something that we hear a lot. Uh, but we don't get to that point without first saying, how can we pray? How can we pray? Let's just pray now. I think that would make a big dent in our church if that was the life of uh, after a service, if that question was being asked. Okay, we're going to be a faithful church. We need to be a praying church. We know that. Let's take some steps there. Third, community must be primary in our church. And what I mean by this is if we're going to trust the Lord with all of our hearts, it means we are going to have to strive to live out what it means to be a biblical church together. We're going to make that a priority. We're going to take that calling seriously because the Bible does not talk about a church as a group of random individuals that come together for a service. That's, that's how we think about it because we're individualistic Westerners. 
The church is the body of Christ, a body with many members. Let me read some, some verses from Corinthians 12. You'll see this come out crystal clear. This is what Paul says to us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 27, key verse. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Do you see that? Okay, so our default of I'm one person coming to church needs to make needs to do some business with this verse. <laughs> the Bible says we're a body and individually part of that body. The Bible also says we're a family. Church is a family and with God as the father, us as brothers and sisters, Jesus as our, as our big brother who's gone before us. And if we are to live as the body of Christ and live as the family of God, we are going to have to intentionally in faith, push back on all those cultural norms, all the cultural status quo that are so powerful to our lives, and push back on them, trusting that the Lord's way is better. We are going to have to push back on the fact that we're hardwired to think of my relationship with God on individualistic terms, purely. It's not true. You're saved into a body. Let me read it to you, verse 26 of that chapter. See how this plays out here. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So for better or worse, guys, we're stuck with each other. <laughs> it's a glorious thing, actually. We're with each other for both now and eternity. <laughs> Get used to it, right? Get used to it. Okay, so what does this actually mean? I was talking about this last week with someone saying we're going to talk about you know, what it means to be the body together. They're like, yeah, but okay, what does that actually mean? What does that mean? What do we actually do? Well, good news, everyone. We have spent considerable time as a church articulating what we believe it means to be the body of Christ as a church. We put that in the form of a membership commitment. And so I'm going to share with you what that says, the content of that membership commitment. So you might hear what we believe at the church. It means to be a biblical church and what we call our members to commit to when they join as members. So let me read that out to you. It starts with a little preamble. Having been brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we joyfully renew our commitment to each other. And here's the commitment. Firstly, by God's grace, we will work and pray together for the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace, choosing unity over division in areas of preference. By God's grace, we will work together in love, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. We will faithfully encourage and warn one another as occasion may require 
we will speak the truth in love so that we may build one another up and give grace to those who hear. By God's grace, we will regularly gather with our local church family, not neglecting to pray for ourselves and others. By God's grace, we will rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and bear each other's burdens in love. By God's grace, we will seek to live in a manner in a manner worthy of the gospel, walking in wisdom, denying ungodliness, and pursuing holiness. By God's grace, we'll cultivate our personal and family worship lives through the spiritual disciplines. We'll raise our children in the nurture and counsel of the Lord. By God's grace, we will seek the salvation of our family and friends through words of grace lives of loving demonstration and constant prayer. By God's grace, we will work together to maintain a gospel-centered ministry in this church by upholding the centrality of preaching, believers' baptism, the Lord's Supper, the defense of our doctrines, submission to biblical leadership, and the maintaining of church discipline. By God's grace, we will contribute cheerfully to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations, reflecting God's generosity shown to us in the gospel. Finally, by God's grace, we will, if ever we move on from this place, unite with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this commitment and the principles of God's word. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. We're yet to adopt that officially as a church. That is our draft, but that's the first time that we've shared that with the whole congregation, not just the members. It's beautiful, isn't it? I would like to be part of a group of Christians that take that seriously and live that out, because that is a beautiful thing. Maybe today what God is calling you to is to commit yourself to the vision, to that vision of church, which might need some repenting of whatever church is now in our day and age. Maybe for you newer faces, that would mean coming along to EBC Essentials, pursuing, connecting in with the church at a deeper level. I'd love to have you. EBC Essentials starts two weeks' time. Maybe it's your maybe you need to take that as a priority to make it there to join. For your regulars, let's not lose sight of what this is calling us to, what God is calling us to, to be a biblical church. We love one another like this. Finally, and more briefly, mission must be primary in our church. Mission must be primary. Just like our desire to be a biblical church in the way we love each other, we are also want to be faithful to God by loving the world like he has called us to. Listen, we, we know exactly what God is calling us to. 
we do not need to form a committee to ask the question. We know exactly what God is calling us to. He has been crystal clear in his word. We do not need to ask the question. He is calling us to the work of sharing the gospel in this world. Let me take you to Jesus' last words in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Speaking to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, he said to them, firstly, amazing sentence, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's encouraging. He's the king. And here's his command for us. You can see five, five things there, four things, four. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then this promise, and again, we can trust him because he keeps his promises. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Okay, that's the plan, right? That's what we're doing. This is our mission and this is our purpose. And what's more, it is our mission and our purpose because it is his mission and his purpose that he's called us into. We're following him into this work. We're partnering with him in this work. It's what God himself is doing. Listen, the Lord is at work in our world, bringing light and life into our hope-starved world that needs the redemption of Christ. Which means, again, if we're going to trust the Lord with all of our hearts, we need to commit to taking that seriously too. Join with him. Give ourselves to his work. It's why we exist. It's, it's why we exist. It's why we labor. It's why we live. And it's the purpose for which we will die. So let us trust the Lord together. Let's keep the word primary. Even when it's really hard, there's lots of reasons to abandon. Pressure to abandon, I should say. Let's keep prayer primary, not lean on our own understanding, but pray to the Lord. Let's be the body of Christ. Resist cultural status quos and let us make the mission central, not settling for our own comfort. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have, well, I confess that in each of those four things, I have not been trusting you. I pray for our church, Lord. We want to grow in each of these things. We want to trust your word with zeal, with all of our hearts. Lord, make us like the Moravians, singing hymns in a storm. No, we're not afraid to die. We know our, our Savior. We know our hope. We know he's coming again. Give us this conviction, Lord. Help us live in line with our conviction.
And Lord, for those of us in the room today who are new to faith, exploring faith, figuring it out a bit, not sure what we think about any of it. Lord, I just pray that today they would acknowledge your presence, that they would hear your invitation, invitation to trust you, or to lean on your goodness, to have that certainty under their feet, that come what may, the Father will care for them. Lord, that that certainty, Lord, it only comes through your cross, to receiving forgiveness through the cross for our sin. But Lord, on the other side of that, it's joy, freedom, life. I want to pray for those people now, Lord. Um, would you speak to them? Lord, would you give them courage to pray? Hmm. Lord, and for our church, Lord, we do pray that we would trust you with all of our hearts not lean on our own understanding. Acknowledge you in all things, Lord, and would you make path, make, the straight, make our path straight in this church, we ask. Thank you for your word today, Lord. We love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to return to worship. Thanks.